Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Everybody and welcome to Fruit Loops Season Three, Episode Eighteen. Thank you so so much for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that we don't hear or know much about. And contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight, cisgender, white dudes. There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because. Well, the news is racist, allegedly. <laughs> and we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294 and we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. Join the discussion by using the hashtag fruitloopspod discussion or joining our Facebook group. All of the footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. That's right. And if you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App, or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. We also have some merch for sale on our website, but if you can't help monetarily, no problem, man. You can always give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And this is crucial. Be sure to share our show with each and every one of your friends. Yeah. So, who are we talking about today, Beth? Today we're talking about Terry Blair, also known as the Prospect Killer, a serial killer from Kansas City. This subject was suggested to us by Tanya T. and Rachel A. in our Facebook group. Yes, I'm excited to dive into it. But before we get there, how you doing? I'm doing great. I had a really fun Halloween, and my neighborhood wine club had a Dia de los Muertos themed dinner last Saturday, which was really cool. Awesome. Yeah, one of our members is from Mexico City, and I learned a little bit about Dia de los Muertos and how it's observed in Mexico City. It's really cool, huh? Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, I used to celebrate it every every year when I was a kid. Um, mostly because I went to like a bilingual school and most of the kids were Mexican kids, first right. generation Mexican kids. And it was it was just really fun and cool. I love the pan dulce and the calaveras and the makeup and everything. It's just a really, really fun day. It is. Um, and it's cool because it's, you know, 
kind of coincides with Halloween. It is. And I really like that they're honoring their ancestors. Yes. Yes. It's really, really cool. Um, well, great. I'm glad you had a fun Halloween and a cool Dia de los Muertos. I celebrated Halloween with my kids as well. Um, I had a panic attack on that day. Oh, no. So uh, it, it still ended up being an okay Halloween, but um, whew, I was really going through it that day. So um, oh, that sucks. Uh, anyway, but yeah, things are good now. So um, I, I just, I, I don't know if our listeners appreciate this, but at least in POC communities, mental health isn't discussed a lot. So I like to, I like to talk about mental health. So right. if you struggle in, Get yourself a therapist, get yourself some meds and moisturize and drink your water. <laughs> Otherwise, your black will crack, as they say, on getting grown. Um, so uh, now we are going to get into listener letters. And what's that? <gasps> oh, my God. <laughs> Thank you, angels. Mm, well, what's in that bag, Beth? What is in that mailbag? Well, first of all, I wanted to shout out our new patrons, Kim and Chrissy. What's up, y'all? Hip hop air horns to you. (laughs) We appreciate it. We certainly do. And Chrissy said, you guys rock. As a criminal social justice major seeking my bachelor's as an adult student, I'm always looking for interesting crime justice stories and info. Your podcast is one of the best ever. I enjoy your candidness, honesty, and the way you humanize the victims. I'm obsessed. Thank you (laughs) again for all your hard work. And thank you, Chrissy. Thank you, Chrissy. (laughs) You rock. Yeah. Also, I wanted to say congrats to Monica, our patron Mm. who won the October t-shirt giveaway. Yeah. Watch the mail for your t-shirt to come soon. Mm -hmm. And we'll have another giveaway for November. So if you went in on that, become a patron before December 1st. That's right. We're happy. We're we're little Santa true crime elves <laughs> uh, via angels yeah <laughs> so uh yeah shout out to you Monica. <laughs> Uh, and I found a letter from Vernilia on Facebook. It is thorough, entertaining, covering crimes that are often ignored by the news and other true crime podcasts, crimes by people of color. I also like the fact that uh, they include cl- crimes from around the world. We like that, too. We love yeah. researching those kinds of cases. Yeah. Yeah. So hip hop air horns to you, Vernilia. <laughs> And then we also got another message on Facebook from Alexa Cheyenne. And uh, she said, uh, I just started listening to this uh, while I work and it's occupied my time and given me wonderful laughs. Thank you so much. (laughs) You are welcome. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) And I also wanted to read my very favorite bad review. Oh, boy. (laughs) This, this review was by Jay on Apple Podcasts, and it's titled Trash. Ooh, ooh, it stung when I read it. <laughs> he says, nothing but boring people essentially reading Google to you. <laughs> I laughed so hard. Yes, the, the bad reviews are laugh. so, are, are not like, they're obviously not enjoyable like we want everybody to love the show and we want to put out a great product and stuff but some of the bad reviews like go so hard uh at at being negative (laughs) like one one review said we were like uh ear feces and i was just like trying to think like does the the feces come out of your ears or like do you are you scooping it up and shoving it inside i don't know i don't know what that means yeah and reading google okay everybody go to google right now what do you see what do you read it says google that's all it says yeah i mean um yeah so that was that was a that was a good one we, that was we had a good a couple one over yeah. it. but um look fruit loops a for everybody so uh, hip-hop air horns to all of all of you out there showing us love and listening to the show we really 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 appreciate it so now we're going to take yeah. a quick break and then we're going to dive into the story when we come back yes brandon hey yo jay hit me up man he said we got to record a commercial yo a commercial about what about the show we got to tell what the sh- like what we be talking about and shit oh lord oh we talk about everything yeah so we got to 
I don't know. I just I say some shit like we talk about news and gossip and politics and black lives shit and white shenanigans and shit. And uh, how you and your wife be having lesbian sex? <laughs> Right, because because he need to, they need to know that part. Yeah, they do need to know that part. But uh, you, what else I need to tell them? I mean, the name of the show at this point, you know, said everything else. Oh yeah, that too. This is the DJ Blaze Radio Show podcast, and we're back. Uh, so uh, Beth, who are we talking about again today? We're talking about Terry Blair, who is also known as the Prospect Killer because he murdered mm-hmm. victims in the Prospect Avenue area of Kansas City. Okay, so Terry Blair was born on September sixteenth, nineteen sixty-one. So he would technically be a, a Great Migration baby. He had seven to nine victims. Rest in power, Queens. His victims were Angela Monroe. He killed her in nineteen eighty-two. Anna Ewing. She was 42 uh, and died on or before July 14th, 2004. So big, big time span in between those two. Um, But then the fuckery continues. Patricia Wilson Butler was 58, died on or before September 2nd, 2004. Sheila McKenzie, 38, and died on or before September 2nd, 2004. Darcy Williams was 25, and she died on or before September 4th, 2004. Man, this guy is on a roll. Carmen Hunt, 40, uh, died September 4th, 2004, and Claudette Juniel was 31 and died on or before September 2004. Um, his crimes took place from 1982 to 2004 in Kansas City. So now we're going to get into the setting a bit. Hit it, Beth. Yeah, so the setting is Kansas City, Missouri. Kansas City was founded in the 1830s as a Missouri River port. It is the largest city in Missouri and straddles the Kansas-Missouri state line, which is really interesting because part of it is in Kansas and part of it is in Missouri. What? Yeah, I find that I didn't know that. I think yeah. that's really interesting. I remember as a kid always being like bothered by the fact that Kansas City isn't in Kansas, but it is. Yeah, part of it is. Yeah, because yeah. I have a friend who is from there, and I think she lived in the Kansas side, and they would go over to the Missouri side to drink or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> what do you always say? Don't fact check me on that. Yeah, don't fact check me. <laughs> but that's, that's the story that she told. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kansas City was one of the cities, again, in the Great Migration, and... Uh, Welcome to Culture Corner with Wendy and Beth. Um, The Great Migration is a phenomenon in American history that people don't know about. And it's when during Jim Crow, thousands of African-Americans who were formerly enslaved, descendants of slaves and sharecroppers, left the South to flee white terrorism, homelessness and lack of economic opportunity. So from 1910 to 1930, the black population in Kansas City doubled. Race has played a big role in the shaping of Kansas City. Kansas City is a prototypical city in the U.S., but it's very segregated. Mm -hmm. That's due to redlining and white flight, which was a result of the federal government's unwillingness to insure loans for homes in certain neighborhoods with black people in them. Kansas City is in the top 10 of the most segregated cities in the U.S. Mm. The Kansas City Monarchs were the longest running franchise in the history of baseball's Negro leagues operating in kansas city missouri they were charter members of the negro national league from 1920 to 1930 yeah that's right they wouldn't let black people play with other people so they had to start their own league they had their own league yeah mm -hmm. famous baseball players such as satchel page and jackie robinson were both in the monarchs Kansas City is also noted for its distinctive Kansas City-style barbecue. Henry Perry, a black man, is considered the father of Kansas City barbecue. Perry was born in Tennessee near Memphis and the Mississippi River. And at the age of 15, he found work in steamboat kitchens up and down the river and made his way as far north as Chicago and Minneapolis. Mm, uh, So this is another mini culture corner thing, but during enslavement, black people were given like literally crap and had to make it into something edible. So that's why we have delicious hot wings and barbecue and um, we season the fuck out of our food. It's because we had minimal resources. Crap crap to work with. Yeah, Yeah, crap to work with. And so man if you could get your hands on some good kansas city barbecue or some good soul food um you will be a changed person yeah my mouth's watering right now 
(laughs) (laughs) So Perry (laughs) moved to Kansas City, Perry the barbecue guy, in 1907. And around 1908, Perry began serving smoked meats to workers in the garment district from an alley stand. And his business blew up from there. Kansas City barbecue is rubbed with spices, slow smoked over a variety of woods and Mm -mm -mm. served with a thick tomato-based barbecue sauce. My mouth is watering. (laughs) Mm. Um, The staple sauce tends to be both sweet, often from molasses and spicy. Mm. Mm -hmm. Kansas City is also known for its long tradition of jazz music and culture, especially theater. The city was the center of the vaudevillian Orpheum circuit in the 1920s. Vaudeville is a theatrical genre of variety entertainment born in France at the end of the 18th century. It became popular in the United States and Canada from the early 1880s until the 1930s. A typical American vaudeville performance was made up of a series of separate unrelated acts grouped together on a common bill. It often included minstrels, here we go, who were white people in blackface for the purpose of playing the role of black people by the way uh because it was halloween i was like somebody's about to ruin their lives and go out in (laughs) blackface or or like in a a native american costume and just uh like man the races really come out on halloween (laughs) anyway um so minstrels lampooned black people as dim-witted lazy buffoonish superstitious and happy-go-lucky so it was basically racism on parade the genre has had a long-lasting legacy and influence, and that's why you can't wear blackface, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Several characters in minstrel shows became archetypes, and five emerged as the main black archetypes. There was Jim Crow, who was a rural dancing fool in tattered clothing, Mammy, an overweight and loud mother figure, Zip Coon, a flamboyantly dressed man who used sophisticated words incorrectly. There there was also the tragic mulatto and Uncle Tom. Yes. Um, I feel like those need explanation, but I don't want the episode to go too long. So add us if you if you want details or just Google them. <laughs> um, the widespread demeaning portrayals of African-Americans paralleled a period when Southern states were passing, quote, black codes, end quote, to restrict the behavior of former slaves and other African-Americans. And the codes were also called Jim Crow laws after the blackface stage character and I was watching Dumbo with my kids. Those crows in the Disney movie are oh. so racist. <laughs> oh my god! That's... I didn't even realize that. Yes. Oh I, my god! I never really watched it because oh. it's depressing. It <laughs> is depressing. Terrible. It has a happy ending, but those crows are literally like the black archetypes. Yes, the the coons. Wow. They are the coons. Yeah. So anyway, wow. sorry. Oh, that's okay. Um, I also wanted to say I did not know that uh, the Jim Crow laws were named after the blackface stage character. Mm, We learn something new every day on this podcast. Every day. (laughs) So as society modernized, so did the ways in which blackface was portrayed. Not only was blackface in theaters, but it moved to the film industry. In the blockbuster movie, The Birth of a Nation, which we covered in a previous episode, Mm -hmm. blackface characters were seen as unscrupulous and rapists. The stereotypes were so powerful, they became a recruiting tool for the Ku Klux Klan. Mm. African Americans protested the film's portrayals and its distorted take on post-Civil War era, but it continued to be popular among white audiences. Of course. I I would like to have a conversation with a white person who enjoyed this movie because it it's horrific. Awful. Yeah. It's awful. Anyway, uh, the appeal of blackface declined after the 1930s and into the civil rights movement. But the negative stereotypes of African-Americans and mocking of dark skin have persisted in recent decades. Black people have been saying this has always been a problem. People have just started listening. Yeah. For example, blackface appeared in the Oscars ceremony in 2012 on television skits. And wearing blackface to dress up as famous African-Americans during Halloween remains an ongoing issue, if you mm-hmm. ask because of blackface's historic use to denigrate people of African descent, its continued use is still considered racist. So don't do it. Blackface is part of the toxic culture of racism. So that's the setting. Now we're going to get into the killer's Terry Blair's early life. So take it away, Beth. Terry Blair was born in Missouri on September 16, 1961. He was the fourth eldest of 10 siblings born to the Blair family, which has been described in many articles as a, quote, 
notorious crime family, unquote, in Kansas City. When I hear crime family, I think of an organized group like the Mafia, but the Blair family mm-hmm. was not like that. They were just known as a family that had a lot of criminals in it. And I would say a family that had a lot of people who committed crimes to survive. So context right. is everything, right? People, people, poor people of color don't commit crimes because they are bad necessarily or because crime is so fun. Usually it's because they don't have or they don't see any other option to survive. Also, poor people and POCs, black people don't always have the luxury of planning for the future and they can't see years in advance. I just need to survive today. Sometimes the furthest you can see is the end of the day or the end of the week or the end of the month. Right. Terry, his nine siblings, and his mother Janice, who only finished the ninth grade and suffered from mental illness, lived in the poverty-stricken area of Prospect Avenue. In high school, Terry enjoyed playing drums in the marching band. But in August of 1978, when Terry was 17 years old, his mother shot and killed Terry's stepfather, Elton E. Gray. Terry later said that he was devastated by this. Janice Blair entered an Alfred plea, a guilty plea in which the defendant does not admit to the criminal act and asserts innocence, but agrees that there is enough evidence to convict them uh, due to her mental illness and entering an Alfred plea. Janice was only given five years probation, but was directed to receive outpatient counseling, therapy and psychiatric treatment and shout out to whoever this judge was and her attorneys were. This is where this is. This is. To me, this looks like justice. Yeah, it's really unusual, too. Yeah. For uh, for a black woman to, like, just get probation and not have the book thrown at her. This is this is amazing. Yeah. Six months after Gray's murder, Terry's brother, Walter Blair Jr., was charged in the death of 16 year old Sandy L. Shannon, who died from a gunshot blast to the back and her body was found in a snowbank. Prosecutors charged Walter Blair Jr. with capital murder, but the case was dropped when witnesses refused to testify. Oh, interesting. Uh, Then in August 1979, Walter Blair Jr. confessed to abducting Catherine Jo Allen, taking her to a vacant lot and shooting her in a murder for hire scheme with a man who was on trial for the rape of Catherine Jo. He was convicted of her murder and he was executed in 1993. Terry's half-brother, Clifford Miller, was convicted in the 1992 abduction of a woman from a bar. He shot the woman in the arm and drove her to an abandoned house before raping her repeatedly and beating her until she passed out. She spent two months in the hospital, but she recovered. Miller was handed two life terms plus 240 years. Holy moly. Terry's half-sister, Warnetta Blair, and her husband, Niola White III, were charged with stabbing James L. Bell to death in order to collect on Bell's life insurance policy. Oh, boy. Warnetta Blair agreed to testify against her husband, and prosecutors dropped the murder charges against her. But state law uh, barred spouses from testifying against each other. And in 1984, Niola White pleaded guilty to second-degree murder. Ten years after Bell's murder, in December of 1989, Warnetta's boyfriend, a Cuban drug dealer named Pablo Gomez, was found bound, Mm. gagged, and dead in the couple's apartment. Warnetta Blair pleaded guilty in August 1990 to killing Gomez, admitting that she and a friend had tied up Gomez to steal his drugs and money. A judge sentenced Warnetta Blair to 10 years in prison. She was released in December of 1999. Wow. So all these crimes are like fatal that the family is committing. And I was just I just had the thought of like they must not have valued life in general. Very much. Yeah. Their own or others. Yeah. Um, in 2001, Terry Blair's nephew, Niola White, the fourth pleaded guilty to killing his father, White, the third, by shooting him in the head in the elder White's furniture store. I think it's safe to say that. Terry probably had a pretty fucked up childhood. Yeah, I think that's safe to say. (laughs) I think so, too. Now we're going to dive into the timeline. So hit it, Beth. In 1982, when Terry Blair was 21, Angela Monroe was found murdered just off of Prospect Avenue. She was Terry's ex-girlfriend, and some sources say ex-wife, but it might be just a common-law wife. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But she was his baby mama, the mother of Mm -hmm. his two children. She was also 32 weeks pregnant with her third child by another man at the time of her murder. 
Her body was left outside, naked and covered up with a blanket, and Blair called 911 to tell the police where to find her, but he claimed that he had not done it. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Blair later <laughs> confessed to beating her to death with a tree limb because he was angry that she was, quote, working the streets as a prostitute, unquote. Wait, we say sex worker here, Fruit Loops, but this was a quote, okay? Yeah, it was a quote. That's why I left it in. <laughs> His um, suspicions of her sex work were never proven. Terry was incarcerated for 21 years for the murder of Angela and her unborn child. But in 2003, at the age of 42, he was released on parole. Blair skipped out on his parole from a halfway house and then alternated staying with his mother and his sister in the Prospect Avenue area. The man living above Blair's mother's apartment often let sex workers eat, sleep, and shower at his apartment. By the way, I looked up because Prospect, because he was called the Prospect Killer, I, I looked up Prospect Avenue just to see what would pop up. And right. like, the Google results were unsafe neighborhood. Don't oh. buy here. Like, Yikes. And w what people usually mean when they talk about a neighborhood that's not quote unquote good is that there are poor people there and people of color there, probably right. black, black people, right. black and brown people. Anyway, on July 14th, 2004, Anna Ewing's body was found by a man spraying for weeds behind a vacant apartment building. Anna was 42 and she was a sex worker. Her body was found near a raised concrete pad in the backyard and was covered by brush. She was nude except for a bra that was still partially on her body and a knitted garment around her neck. She had abrasions on her arm and bruises on her shoulder. She had an area of bleeding above her right eyebrow and bleeding in the white of her eye. She had been strangled and her neck was broken. But her cause of death was officially ruled as an accidental cocaine overdose by the medical examiner. <laughs> what the well, fuck? I wonder why. Yeah, she's a sex worker and she's, and she's a black. woman of color. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, what did we see on one on one previous show? The police law enforcement would call dead prostitutes in L.A. Strawberries. Do you remember that? Yeah. 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 Remember something about that. Yeah. So on September 2nd, 2004, a Kansas City police officer was investigating a foul odor near 26th and uh, Montgal. When the officer went inside an old detached garage at 2609 Montgal, he found two bodies, one stacked atop the other and covered with a tarp. The body on top was that of Sheila McKenzie. She was 38. Sheila's body was nude from the ankles to the clavicle with a dress and t-shirt bunched around her neck and shoulders. Sheila's neck had been broken and there was evidence that she had been strangled. Semen was found in and on her body. Patricia Wilson Butler was 58, affectionately known as Miss Patty, was found underneath the body of Sheila McKenzie. Both were sex workers. Patricia's body was too decomposed to determine a cause of death while Patricia Patricia's body had been there for approximately three weeks. Sheila's body was suspected to have been there for a matter of days. Patricia's body was identified by rehydration of her hand to get the prints. She was last seen three weeks prior heading to a doctor's appointment. Although cause of death could not be determined, her death was ruled a homicide because her body had been concealed. Mm. In a nearby house, which was under renovation, officers found Sheila's blood on the carpet and Patricia's blood was found smeared on the kitchen floor. This is likely where they were killed and then they were moved to the garage. On September 3rd, 2004, right after the 10 o'clock news, which featured the news of the bodies that had been found, an unidentified male made a 911 call from a deactivated cell phone. Any deactivated cell phone still has the ability to call 911. But the phone did not have a SIM card, which meant that no number was attached to identify the telephone making the call. The caller reported a dead body at 29th and Park. When asked how he knew there was a dead body there, he said, I put it there. The caller refused to identify himself. And when he was asked a second time how he knew the body was there, the man stated, because I put the two on 25th and Montgal and I put that there. And the two that the caller was referring to are Sheila McKenzie and Patricia Wilson. The caller told the dispatcher the body at 29th and Park was in the backyard of an abandoned house on the corner and that it was all the way to the fence by the alley buried up under the tree branches. It's been there for about two months. Jesus. The caller said he did not know the victim's name, but knew that she was a prostitute. 
And uh, this is the word he used. Again, we don't condone the use of this word. The caller again confirmed that he killed the other two women whose bodies were found at 25th and Montgal, and then he hung up. On September 4th, 2004, police looked for the body at 29th and Park and found the skeletal remains of Carmen Hunt, who was 40, behind an apartment building on Park Avenue, just blocks away from where Patricia Wilson Butler and Sheila McKenzie had been found. Uh, Her body was lying in an overgrown area and had been covered with carpet and brush. It was determined that she had been dead for at least a week when she was found. The cause of Hunt's death is unknown, but was ruled a homicide because her body had been concealed. That evening after the 6 o'clock news, the same unidentified man using the same cell phone called 911. The caller told the 911 dispatcher that he had called the day before to report bodies and that he was calling again to report two more bodies. Doesn't this kind of remind you of like a black Zodiac killer? Yeah, sort of. Messing with the media and the police? Yep, yep. Um, So the caller stated that one body was at 24th and Prospect quote, in the alley right next to the gate by the U-Haul place, end quote, and was covered by, quote, black vinyl, end quote. The caller stated the other body was at 27th and olive and covered with brush and pillows. So he does a lot of covering up, too. Yeah, he does. Yeah, um, that's part of his M.O. Mm-hmm. The caller said the victims were prostitutes, that's the word he used, and that he killed them because they were, quote, scum and a disgrace. Oh. The caller refused to give his name, but told the dispatcher that the body at 27th and Olive had been there for about six weeks and the one at 24th and Prospect had been there only a week. Mm. The caller told the dispatcher, you can smell her quote unquote. Mm. He said that he did not know the victims' names, but that he was killing these women because they were prostitutes. The background noises in both of the 911 phone calls included train sounds and children playing. Did you know one out of six couples struggle with infertility, including old Whitey and me? Seriously, that is a staggering statistic that most people don't know or aren't ready to talk about. We need good data and information about our bodies in order to have informed conversations with our doctors and make the best decisions for ourselves and our futures. Good data and information about our bodies is crucial when it comes to our body autonomies, especially in the year of our Lord 2022. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's why Modern Fertility was created. It's an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. Traditional testing can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility gets you the same info at a fraction of the price. And if you go to modernfertility.com fruit, you can get $20 off your test. Also, and this is really cool, mm. if you have an HSA or an FSA, you can put those dollars towards Modern Fertility. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Now, if you want kids today, or in the future, never or are undecided. It's important to have clinically sound information about your body, which can help you make the decision that's right for you. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com fruit. That means your test will cost $179 instead of the hundreds or thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com fruit. That's modernfertility.com fruit. Police found the body of Darcy Williams, 25, another sex worker, in an alley on Prospect Avenue near a U-Haul. Darcy was the adopted daughter of Ruby Irene and Carlton Williams Sr., who loved and spoiled her. Her nickname was Smiles. She had a son named Robert Andrew Taylor Jr., who died from SIDS when he was a month old in 1998. Oh, man. Sad. Yeah, very much so. Um, Darcy's body was found lying in some brush outside a fenced parking lot covered by roofing tar paper. Police officers had cut the fence to get to the body, which was badly decomposed. A black knit shirt was around Williams's neck. She had been strangled with her own clothes and her neck was also broken. A lot of broken necks. Yeah, that's another one of his M.O.s. He liked to strangle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Darcy's mother, Ruby, met with Darcy every week on Wednesdays. The last time Ruby saw Darcy was on August 25th, 2004, when she dropped her off at 25th and Prospect. When Darcy exited her mother's car, she crossed the street and approached three men. Ruby identified one of those men as Terry Blair. Ruby did not hear from Darcy on the following Wednesday and never talked to her again. 
Oh, man, that's awful. Yeah. Um, police also found the skeletal remains of Claudette Juniel, who was 31, in a vacant lot at 2745 Olive. Juniel's body was nude and had been covered with couch cushions, sticks, and attire. A shirt was tied around her neck. Claudette's death was ruled a homicide again because her body had been covered. On the second phone call, the killer stated that he would call again the next day to report more bodies. However, the news reported that evening that police were attempting to trace the calls and the killer never called again. Mm, So that's it for the timeline. Now we're going to dive into the investigation. So uh, Kansas City police felt that they were in over their heads. The FBI was called in and a task force was assembled. All five bodies had been found within blocks of each other, and it was obvious to the authorities that the killer was watching the news. Police hit the pavement, and any recent reports of sex crimes were reinvestigated. They found a woman named Aaliyah, who told them that a man had strangled her and left her for dead, but she survived. When asked to describe him, she said he was a black man and that he was, quote-unquote, real nice. She saw him after the assault walking down Prospect Avenue wearing black clothing with a white stripe. Hmm. Black clothing with a white stripe. Oh, you know what? I'm just thinking of early 2000s fashion. Remember when we all had those tearaway pants with, yeah, the, with the, the stripe the, on the side? The yeah. Stripe? yeah. <laughs> um, on September 6, 2004, Cherry Chadbourne, a white woman, flagged down police and told them that a man who had paid her for sex had told her he was going to kill all prostitutes one by one because they were the, quote, scum of the earth, unquote. She knew him as, quote unquote, Terry, though she didn't know his last name. Cherry also told police that this man had been stalking her and that he had told her that he had killed his first wife because she had become a sex worker. When asked to describe him, she said he was wearing black clothing with a white stripe. Looking at old case files with the name Terry, they found the murder of Angela Monroe, which matched Cherry's story of the man who had claimed to have murdered his wife. Police found Aaliyah again and asked her to look at some photos. Aaliyah immediately picked Terry Blair out of a lineup. So that's the investigation. Now we're going to get into the arrest. Hit it, Beth. (laughs) On September 10th, 2004, Blair was at a friend's house when his picture was featured in the newscast as a person of interest. Blair's friend pretended that she did not recognize him as the person of interest. And then Blair left his friend's house and (laughs) hid in her detached garage. Okay. The friend (laughs) called the police in a panic. Police found Blair hiding under the rear of the car at the back of the garage. And when arrested, he was wearing black clothing with that white stripe. After his arrest, Blair agreed to talk to the police. He was questioned for seven hours. During the interrogation, Blair referred to sex workers as scum, the same word choice that the 911 caller had used. Blair denied ever having sex with any of the victims or any sex worker except for a woman named Peaches, whom he paid for sex in 2002. Blair also denied that he had made any anonymous 911 calls. Blair told the police that on September 3rd and 4th, when the calls were made, he had been helping his mother move out of her apartment and he was staying with his sister. Lies. <laughs> but when police asked why he'd stopped calling 911, Blair requested an attorney and the interrogation was stopped. Since they were unable to arrest him for the murders yet, Blair was arrested for the parole violation. However, during his interrogation, Blair had told the police that he had given his sister a cell phone. So police went out to her house to search for the phone. At Blair's sister's house, police discovered that there was a playground and train tracks nearby. And police heard some sounds that could also be heard on the 911 calls. Children playing and train sounds. Do you see all the red string? (laughs) However, they did not find the phone. The semen found in and on the victim, Sheila McKenzie, was tested and found to be a DNA match for Terry Blair. Mm. Anna Ewing's case was reopened and ruled a homicide. And Emily's test for the presence of saliva was performed on Anna Ewing's left breast. A single allele found within the DNA included Blair as a possible contributor. DNA was extracted from blood under Ewing's fingernails and test results included Ewing as a major contributor and Blair as a possible minor contributor. And on October 15, 2004, Blair was charged with eight counts of first-degree murder, one count of first-degree assault, and three counts of forcible rape. 
Included in the murder charges were two other victims, Sandra Reed, 47, and Nellia Harris, 33. And unfortunately, I couldn't find any information about those two murders. No, but if you're listening and you know them, um, yeah, we would love to know up. their stories. Yeah. Whoops. Um, I just meant to say, gotcha, bitch. <laughs> okay, so now we're going to get into the trial of Terry Blair. So Blair avoided the death penalty by agreeing to waive his right to a jury trial and instead agreed to a bench trial in which that's when the judge calls all the shots on the defendant's guilt or innocence. Before trial, prosecutors made a deal with Blair to drop charges for the murders of Sandra Reed and Nelia Harris, three rapes and an assault. In exchange for that and for prosecutors dropping the death penalty, Blair agreed to trial before a judge without a jury. Blair's trial started on March 10th on the six murders. All those cases were connected by 911 calls to police that helped them locate the bodies between July and September of 2004. Cherry Chadborn testified that Blair had been her client and had told her that he would, quote, kill all the prostitutes one by one, unquote. And on March 27, 2008, Blair was found guilty of the murders of Anna Ewing, Patricia Wilson-Butler, Sheila McKenzie, Carmen Hunt, Claudette uh, Juneal, and Darcy Williams. Rest in power, Queens. He was sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole. Irene Williams, the mother of Darcy Williams, was a witness in the case and spoke after the verdicts. The victims fell on hard times because of drugs or other problems, she said. But, quote, they came from good homes, especially people who loved them, unquote. Absolutely. They did not deserve to lose their lives. They're, they're human beings and had people in their families who loved them. Mm-hmm. Trish Davis, daughter of victim Patricia Wilson Butler, thanked the women who worked the streets, survived Blair, and came forth to testify at trial. I mean, I um, I, I love Law and Order, and <laughs> uh, SVU is my favorite. And and one of the things that it's it's sort of um opened my eyes to is just how difficult it is for victims um to testify against their attackers and face yeah. them in court. So yeah. yeah, shout out to all the women who um. Who, who came forward. Um, quote, I, I have justice. It's been three and a half years of waiting for someone to say guilty, unquote. Um, so now we're going to get into where are they now? Yeah, Beth. Blair is currently housed at the Potosi Correctional Center in Mineral Point, Missouri. He appealed his conviction, but his appeal was denied by the Missouri Court of Appeals in August of 2009. The case of the homicides he was convicted of is featured in an episode of A Serial Killer Calls of the TV show The First 48. He was also the subject of a First 48 special called uh, The Killer Speaks, which later became a TV show of the same name. Uh, the, shows follows, the, the shows follow detectives as they receive information on the death of the first woman all the way up until his capture. Did you watch those? I believe th I believe that I had because when I when I um was sort of reading through the doc and uh, listening um to like you know information about him I was like I know I've seen I've yes. seen this guy before we love the first forty eight in, yeah. in the Wendy Williams household <laughs> um, <laughs> so they those both of those shows were really good um really fascinating yeah so yeah, yeah, yeah. I recommend watching them. And every time I see the title of a show of a first 48, like, so this title was uh, a serial killer calls. And I like to make a conclusion immediately based on the title of the show. So I would assume that this is a serial killer who calls the police. And what do you know? I was right. That's what it was. So, that's it. <laughs> that's what it was. And the killer speaks. He, he speaks. Yeah. Yeah. See, so I saw things. I should be in. I should be a detective because. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> so in 2013, Diamond Blair, Terry Blair's nephew, was convicted of second-degree murder. He was the fifth family member in over three decades to be convicted of serious violent crimes. He was sentenced to two life sentences plus 240 years for charges including kidnapping and forcible sodomy. Okay, so another point I'd like to bring up, this is another culture corner thing, is that um, Africans were kidnapped from Africa and brought to the United States and treated terribly. Rape, yeah. 
murder, sodomy. And when you learn those things, they're hard to eliminate generationally. And yeah. so um, I, I just, I, I just wanted to point that out. Like black people are not all evil. Oh no! Um, but I think that some of these behaviors of um, violence and um, uh, sexual, maybe I don't want to say deviance, but you get what I'm, you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Um, are um, I think learned behavior from the way that they were treated yeah yes yes so i just wanted to point that out and you can at me if you disagree (laughs) uh so now we're going to get into what we believe made the killer snap as well as our takeaways and beth you've got a juicy takeaway so (laughs) hit it so Terry Blair was brought up in a poverty-stricken family where crime was kind of a way of life, maybe a way of survival, especially if you are never taught how to cope in any other way. As Wendy mentioned at the top of the episode, when you're poor, you often can't see ahead. And oftentimes you don't even see a future. You just can't see that you're going to live that long. Right. Crime can become a way of life when you're just scratching by and you can't really see yourself getting anywhere. So basically you're like, why? not (laughs) yeah give me those flaming hot cheetos what drugs yeah sure cigarettes give them to me so as a society i think we need to fight poverty not only for the people living in poverty but for society as a whole and uh, people who think that poverty is someone else's problem just the problem of the poor i think are very short-sighted i agree people who are usually conservatives argue that they don't want to quote pay for other people's kids etc but hey guess what Mm -hmm. you're already paying for them in many different ways mostly through social ills and Mm -hmm. wouldn't it be way better to pay for social programs up front to help these kids out rather than paying on the back end through crime and punishment? Uh, yeah. I think so, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I think we need more social programs, not less. Just my opinion. <laughs> That's I, just I mean, end homelessness. Yes. That would solve so many problems. Yes, give these people, true. Give people who need it free housing affordable housing once they're once they're housed then they can fix the rest of their problems yeah and they found that once uh homeless people are given a place to live even like the the tiny houses like they've tried different ways of of giving them places to not homeless shelters but actual homes mm-hmm. that they they right. live in where they can shower mm-hmm. and have some privacy and whatnot mm-hmm. um that everything else tends to fall into place they just need a home yeah yep but anyway uh blair was brought up in poverty and around crime so that definitely had something to do with it some people have Mm -hmm. suggested that maybe his mother was a sex worker and that's why he was so angry with sex workers but i never saw any concrete information about that so that's just speculation i don't know why he was so angry with sex workers but obviously he was and uh, don't forget that he was in prison for 21 years and the effects of right. that, where mm-hmm. the focus is on punishment rather than rehabilitation. And the prisoner's going to be released back into society one day. That's fucked up. Right, right. Also, as I uh, was talking about, I saw the first 48 The Killer Speaks episode when they interviewed him. And looking at his, just looking at his photos, he looks kind of scary, I think, because they picked out the photos where his eyes were very open, emphasizing mm-hmm. the whites of his eyes, which made him look kind of crazy. But in the interviews mm-hmm. in the show, I can see why that one lady said that he was real nice. Mm-hmm. He was very calm and collected, and I could see myself being fooled by that exterior because he did not come off as a crazy serial killer he just didn't uh he seemed real nice (laughs) yeah yeah and um i i think another thing is um just the image of a a large dark-skinned black male can be really um intimidating um and scary um to somebody who isn't around darkest game black people on a regular basis yeah um and so yeah his his mugshot was scary i agree um but i i wonder if, if um at other at other times he must he must not have been in, intimidating um yeah and, and I, I think i just, I just 
Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think he was, it was pretty easy for him to get these women uh, into a situation where he could kill them because he did come off as, as like a nice guy. Yeah. And uh, another thing that I think is important to this story is Google a picture of Terry Blair. Again, he is a dark skinned um, black man. And there's this colorism aspect um, that may not be considered in the true crime space. But the fact that um, he was, um, I think, dark skinned, pretty um, dark skinned. Yeah. He was very dark skinned. And and me, I'm a dark skinned um black woman and I know that I if if I make any sudden movements or raise my voice, that it it bothers people. And so I was I just wanted to I just wanted to just throw that out there that I hate that, that because dark- I love dark skin. <laughs> <laughs> well Beth, I love you. <laughs> but but I, I I do I do have to be sort of mindful and maybe other dark skinned black people feel this way. I have to be mindful because I I don't I don't want to scare the white people. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to be very nice. Oh my god all the she's time. They get scared. They get I scared know, and it's so they're stupid. Very silly. But, they're very silly. <laughs> anyway, I mean, this guy actually killed people. So sure, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, very yeah, okay. I, I, I'm not a killer. Uh, anyway, Good point. <laughs> so. <laughs> So now uh, we are going to get into how not to get murdered. So if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) I don't know why I laugh every time. I know. Anyway. (laughs) Because it's funny. (laughs) This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's mistakes. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips. And this is kind of one of these episodes because uh, we've had some other episodes where we offered up tips for sex workers. So uh, we have done that before but this is just some kind of generic tips yeah i agree Uh, yeah this is um a a very uh generic um set of tips but there is help out there for sex workers so that um they are there are resources online um so that they can continue their sex work um in a safe way um and you can go back to past episodes where we've talked about other um sex worker um victims yeah and i think we can probably uh post some links in our show notes even though we're not quoting from them uh we we can still do that i'm glad you said that i'm gonna have to write that down so i remember to put that in (laughs) uh anyway (laughs) uh because i am very forgetful anyway (laughs) always be aware of your environment keep your head on the swivel trust your gut plan your exit uh be aware of escape routes this is this is applies to everybody Mm -hmm. um if in doubt get out um carry a personal safety alarm which is not something i've ever considered but if you are attacked hold it near the attacker's ear and throw the cord so they can't take it off of you to turn it off oh yeah have you seen the personal safety alarms no basically it works kind of like a a grenade (laughs) you pull the cord out and it just it's really loud so if you throw the cord and hold it near the attacker's ear they can't turn it off oh and then and then it's it's very painful because it's so loud and they're going to want to get away from it oh i like that I mean, I don't know how I feel about keeping a, a noise grenade in my purse. Yeah, but... I like it. <laughs> hey, give me that noise grenade. <laughs> Yay! Give me all the noise grenades. Um, so <laughs> don't accept drinks from strangers or any drink that you haven't seen prepared with your own eyes. And if you suspect you are being followed, cross the road, maybe twice, to be sure that the person is following you. If they are, head to the nearest pub, police station, garage, or open shop as quickly as you can 
go the most public route to the most public place. Also, use your cell phone to call for help. Even if you can't talk on the phone, call 911 and they will be able to hear you if you talk loud or shout. So, serial killer true crime news. What do you say? Here we Extracts are. Here, all about it. It? Here we are. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this is kind of a news and shout out wrapped into one. Um, shout out to the podcast Speaking of Racism. And it's about racism. And it's hosted by a white lady who wants to be an ally. She wants yeah. to be like Beth. Cool. And um, yeah. So and also to our listener, the Jupiter Saurus. Did you I like know that. I love dinosaurs, Jupiter Saurus? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, who let me know that there is a black man who is about to be killed by the justice system on November 20th um, for the murder of a white woman named Stacy Stites. Stites was raped and murdered in 1996 in Texas. The Innocence Project has been involved in his case, but they haven't been able to um, get any luck, haven't prevailed legally. Um, there is no murder weapon. Um, there's a lot of evidence that supports that he did not do it. Rodney Reed says he's innocent and there are several several people who believe him. Um, he's been on death row for the past 21 years and celebrities like Kim Kardashian, Rihanna, Meek Mill, A, and uh, T.I. Um, friends of yours, Beth? No. <laughs> they've, come, they've come to support him. Uh and uh well, you know, Meek Mill was in jail. Um right. and, I don't know uh, who TI well, is. Who's TI? TI is a rapper from Atlanta. Um he has a reality show on oh, okay. um I think it's VH1 and it's 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 like a like a family value show cuz he's he's a dad and he has like I don't know 10 oh, children. Okay. And his wife is um, Tiny Tamika Harris uh, from the group Escape. Do you no? Nope. Do you fuck with Escape? Okay. No. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> well, you know who Rihanna and Kim Kardashian are, right? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, okay, and okay. Meek Mill. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we've talked about him on the show before. Right. But Ti um, is new but, to uh, me. But now I know who Ti is. But Ti went to jail too. Oh, I think okay. for a year and a half. So they're really, they're re these are um, really celebrities that, who are yeah. really into um, criminal justice reform. Um, so a recent change.org peti petition with over 100,000 signatures is wow. bringing um, new attention to his case. And the 20th of November is not that far away. So no, we'll, see if, we'll see if anything comes of, comes of it. Um, so that's that. Now we're going to get into the real shout out portion of our show. And Bethy's <laughs> Beth. I called you Bethy because I was looking at Wendy on the, the dock. But that's that's our, our combo name. We're Bethy. Yeah. Bethy. <laughs> I like Either that. Either that or we're Weth. <laughs> I think Bethy's I like, better. Yeah. Bethy, yeah. It's got a good ring to it. So go ahead. <laughs> so I have a weird one today. Now don't okay. don't get mad. Okay. No, I wouldn't get mad. I told you I can't get mad because I'm a dark skinned black woman oh, and I don't right. want to. You have to make anybody. me comfortable. Please yes. make me comfortable. Yes, that's what I that's my existence. It's all about making the white people comfortable. Yeah, that's right. That's how we survive around here in these streets. So today I'm shouting out Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan on Amazon Prime. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay, tell me more. I started watching it because it had good reviews and I decided I wanted to check it out. Mm -hmm. And it turns out the cast is really diverse and it gets into stuff oh. I wasn't expecting. I guess oh. I thought it was going to be a typical spy thriller, something like 24, mm -hmm. which I didn't like. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I really didn't like that show. Um, but the characters on Jack Ryan are well-rounded and even the quote unquote bad guys are well-rounded characters with motivations that you can relate to. Oh, And so far I, I've only watched a few episodes, but so far they've touched on how Muslims are treated in France, which is poorly. <laughs> yeah. Shocker. Mm -hmm. human smuggling and sex trafficking and um mm. i'm only a few episodes in and it hasn't gone sideways yet hopefully it doesn't but uh i've been enjoying it so there you go oh so what's it called again tom clancy's jack ryan and it's on amazon video oh free 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 if it's free it's <laughs> yeah. for me <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you have amazon prime you can watch it for free <laughs> awesome thank you very much you're Beth. welcome so um <laughs> where can the people find us 
Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod. And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App, or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod host and it also puts you into our patron draw at the end of the month. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. We also have merch on our website now at fruitloopspod.com forward slash merch. Beth, everything she has said is 100% true, but don't fact check us. <laughs> this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, guys. It's crazy out there. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.